1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Before Easter, we were looking at one piece of the spiritual armor which we are to wear, the breastplate of faith and love, and this evening we're going to look at the second piece, the helmet of the hope of salvation. So let's just read verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 5. But let us who are of the day be sober, be alert, putting on the breastplates of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul is writing about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the great climactic event that this world is moving towards. And we should be looking forward to it, but the saints in Thessalonica were dreading it because of judgments. So Paul encourages them, and he doesn't say to them, get into the dates uh, so that you can be absolutely certain when Jesus will return. No, he says, live in such a way as you are prepared. Whenever Jesus comes, you are ready. And he talks about us not being asleep spiritually, but being awake, not being drunk, but being sober, and not um, living our spiritual life uh, in a state of uh, days, wearing our pajamas. Uh, some people wear their pajamas all day, don't they? Uh, well, we're not to wear our pajamas spiritually, but we're to be in our soldier's uniform. And what you have here is an embryo, what Paul will later develop in fullness in Ephesians chapter 6. So the first piece is the breastplates. This protects the vital organs, the heart and the lungs, but also and especially uh, those uh, lower down, uh, the abdominal cavity, the kidneys, the liver, uh, etc. And the Bible refers to that as our feelings. So when the King James talks about bowels of mercies, it's referring to feeling tender mercy. So we're to protect our feelings. We need that, don't we? Uh, because many of us tend to depend too much on our feelings. So when our feelings are up, we are up spiritually. And when our feelings are down, then we are down. It shouldn't be like that. But now we need to put the helmet on as well. Now, what does the helmet protect? Well, obviously, it protects the head. And not only are we to protect our feelings, but we're to protect our minds as Christians. Do you put an emphasis on the mind in the Christian life? Because it is important. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. And I just want to look at two things this evening. The first is how we can be uh, injured in our heads spiritually now. A head injury is very serious, isn't it? It can only be a small knock, but if it's in the wrong place, it can be deadly. And it's a bit like that with the attacks on the mind. Let me just go through a few things. I'm aware that we're in a spiritual battle. Are you? We are in a fierce battle and we are never to give a moment's rest 
uh, because our enemy is always on the prowl and he can attack us in our minds. Let, let me give you a few ways that can happen. These head injuries in the spiritual realm. We're to have warm hearts, right? But you want to have a cool head. We don't want to have warm, hot heads. There are some Christians, they're hot-headed. They were in the early church. They were zealots. Jesus Christ had two of them. They were called James and John. And do you know what he called them? Sons of thunder. Because they would always lose their tempers. After the gospel had been rejected by a number of people in Samaria, James and John wanted Jesus to pray to the Father to send down fire from heaven upon them. They were hard-headed. Zealots. Paul had to warn Timothy about those who forbade marriage and who advocated abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. So it's always a danger to be overly zealous as Christians. We can be well-meaning, can't we? There is such a thing as the zeal of youth. How many of you had that? I can look back at some of the things I said and done as a young Christian, and I'm embarrassed now. It was the zeal of youth. It was hot-headedness, and it doesn't do anybody any good. And so there are well-meaning Christians who go beyond what the Bible teaches, and it's just like the zealots in the Old uh, and the New Testaments. Uh, let, let me give you an example. Uh, we uh, taught a few months ago about baptism and the different views there are on baptism. Uh, there are uh, those who have a view of infant baptism and there are those who have a view of believer's baptism. And they both seek to understand from Scripture. And there are godly people on both sides. That's good, isn't it? But if we're hot-headed, we will make something like baptism, which is a secondary issue, into a primary one, a gospel issue. So zealots make everything in the Bible to be gospel issues. So that, that's one area where we have to be careful. Warm hearts, but cool heads. And then there is another area of attack here. We can be big-headed, big-headed how did Paul put it in Corinthians? This is a temptation for us, I think. We are sound, aren't we? We have a goodly heritage. I, I was having lunch with some dear folk and we were talking about some of the books that we are so privileged to have in this country. But our danger is what Paul warned the Corinthians of. Knowledge puffeth up. It makes us big-headed. We think we are better than those Christians who don't have our privileges. Again, it can be mixed with the zeal of youth. Uh, those of us who uh, were privileged to be uh, grounded in the truth, in uh, university, in the Christian Union, 
we were tempted to look down upon those who didn't have our teaching. But let me tell you this, I can look back now at some of those who lacked our teaching and they had bigger hearts for the Lord. Let us beware that knowledge doesn't puff us up. It's not knowledge, but love that edifies. Let us seek to know more of the word, yes, but to speak the truth in love. Other ways we can become big-headed, and it's so subtle. Uh, the Apostle Paul was like this when he was a Pharisee. How did he put it in his little autobiography in Philippians 3? Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. He's proud of his pedigree. We're like that in Wales, aren't we? We, we like to uh, belong. Uh, that's why you constantly get asked, who do you belong to then? Well, there's nothing wrong belonging to so-and-so. I'm not against that. But let us not become big-headed because of our pedigree. Uh, we can be proud of the fact that we belong to a sound church. And we can think that we are the people. That, that's being big-headed. We can be proud of the fact that we belong to a well-known evangelical family and we somehow think we are above the rest. That's just being big-headed. What I love about the Church of Jesus Christ is that we're all on the same level. That somebody uh, who uh, uh, comes from a privileged background is exactly the same in God's eyes as somebody who has come from a working-class background. Isn't that great? How often difficulties are caused in churches by Christians who've just got big in their egos. What did Paul say about appointing new elders? Not a novice lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. People with big heads reaching up to the dizzy heights of fame and success are in for a fall. Be careful that you don't put pastors up on a pedestal. Don't do it with me or with Andy or with Nathan. Don't have your heroes. Haven't we seen across the pond how good men who've been put on a pedestal have fallen because they were just hero-worshipped? Big-headedness. It's a terrible, terrible uh, sin that we need to be aware of. Uh, the Roman emperor, as he was uh, going into Rome, uh, leading a procession, Apparently, uh, some of them had a slave uh, whisper in their ear, you are mortal, you are mortal. Remember that, you are mortal, you are not a god. What else? We can become soft-headed. <laughs> Soft in the mind. Our minds can become malleable, molded. I like the Philips rendition. I know some of you like Philips's paraphrase. Listen to this, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. In Philip's, it says, do not be molded. Don't you like that? Don't let your mind be molded to the thinking of this world. There are Christians who are so soft in their heads. They're not thinking biblically. Are we thinking the way God wants us to think? We have the mind of Christ. Is it focused? Now, of course, we will all say, and rightly so, that when it comes to sexual amorality, which is what we're facing today, I don't need to go into details, that we mustn't be molded by that. Agreed? We have a higher standard. It's a witness. But there are other ways we can be molded. Uh, Listen to the Apostle Paul. He's talking in Galatians 5 about the flesh. Yes, there is immorality and impurity and sensuality, but there's idolatry. If you're worshipping a person, that's idol worship. There are enmities. There is strife. There are jealousies. There is anger. There are disputes. There are divisions. There are factions. There are envyings. And there are drunkenness. All of those things are being soft-headed. Let's move on. I hope this isn't depressing you. I'm coming to the positive. (laughs) But we must be aware. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And then I think this is what Paul is thinking of, writing to the Thessalonians who are dreading the day of Jesus' return. We can be light-headed. Do you know what light-headed means? It means you faint. You faint. Do you faint? If I reach a certain pain threshold, I faint. That's great, isn't it? I don't have to endure any more pain. What did Jesus Christ say? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And by being lightheaded, what Jesus meant was that we get discouraged. We lose hearts. We... Even if we don't do it or admit to it, in our minds, we're already giving up. We've got a defeatist attitude. Uh, This was the problem uh, that faced the psalmist. I read Psalm 73 at the beginning of the service. The psalmist looked at the unbeliever and he could see that he was successful. And he looked at his own life as a child of God. And he could see one problem after another. And he was getting to the point where he was discouraged. He was envying the ungodly. And then he stopped himself in his tracks and he went to the house of God. And then he realized the end of the ungodly. And God pulled him up. He was light-headed at the beginning of the psalm, but by the end, he had come to his senses and his conclusion was, it is good for me to draw near to God. Is there anybody here who is discouraged this evening or even disillusioned? We were blessed to hear yesterday afternoon of men from the 70s and 80s who had known a blessing of God upon their ministries to a greater degree than we know. And I know many of you who were alive at the time were praying for even more blessing. Didn't you think that was the norm? What you were experiencing? Would to God that it was the norm so that we were experiencing it now. But you who were alive at the time, you were praying for an even mightier outpouring of the Spirit. And what has happened since? It wasn't revival, was it? 
It was going backwards. It was division. And it's so easy, isn't it, to get discouraged and even to get disillusioned. Uh, there's a poem. I don't know if it's a Christian poem. And it says this. I like it. It's a bit old-fashioned. Say not the struggle naught availeth. The labour and the wounds are vain. The enemy faints not nor faileth. And as things have been, they will remain. Don't say that. Because things are going to get better. And I'm not just quoting a song there. That's Bible fact. So those are the ways that the mind can be uh, attacked. What are they? You can become hot-headed. You can become big-headed. You can become soft-headed. You can become light-headed. Now then, what's the answer? Uh, look at what Paul says. Put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Put on the helmet. Now, what does it mean to put on the helmet? I've already quoted Jesus Christ. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. A hymn says, we should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So that's vital. But I'm about to say something, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way. Prayer isn't enough. Prayer isn't enough. Putting on the helmet is not just praying about it. Why am I saying that? Because prayer can become a mantra, can't it? We just say the same thing, and all we're doing is reminding ourselves of the problem. It's like that teacher. Teachers have always been stressed, right? I was a teacher many years ago. I don't think I could be a teacher today. It sounds even more stressful. But even in the 1960s, it was stressful to be a teacher, because one school teacher, she was having a really tough time, and she went to see Dr. Lloyd-Jones in the vestry of Westminster Chapel, and... She said to him, oh, doctor, I'm trying my best every morning before I go to school. I recite to myself those words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And it doesn't do me any good. I still get so discouraged. And doctor looked at her and said, you're putting the emphasis. I'm not going to do an impression. You're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. You're trying to say the Lord is my, my shepherd. You should say, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you see the difference? That woman, by repeating that psalm, was just doing a mantra. She was just looking within. Dr. Lloyd-Jones got her to look without, to see God, our hope. God, our hope. Now, what is the hope of salvation here? It's not what we were looking at this morning. It's not the fact that we have been saved because of Jesus' perfect life and death. We have been saved. You know there are three tenses of salvation? There's a past tense. You have been saved. We are being saved. The Lord is working in us by his Spirit, sanctifying us. But this is what Paul is thinking of here. A future tense. We are going to be saved. That's not justification by works. There's something incomplete, isn't there, about our redemption. We are reconciled to God now. We are as secure as the glorified spirits in heaven. 
But we're still in the battle, my friends. We're still uh, dragged down. We, we are still uh, away from home, if I can put it like that. It will only be when Jesus returns that our salvation will be complete. We will then have perfect souls, perfect bodies, resurrected bodies at that, and we will dwell in a perfect heaven and a perfect earth. So Paul is saying, not just pray, not just take it to the Lord, not just look to the Lord, but realize the fact that you're not meant to have everything in this life. Your salvation is only going to be complete in the future. Now, let me just show you from a few places how we're to do that. I'm just going to help you to put the helmet on, right? What I want every one of you to do after this evening is to try putting this helmet, to try to protect your mind, try putting it on. So let, let me give you a few examples um, I've got, um, incidentally, in, in my bedroom, I've got a verse. It's um, by the bed. So every time I go to sleep at night and every time I wake in the morning, the first thing I see is Paul's words to Timothy. Timothy was a very shy and timorous uh, minister like me, right? And Paul said to Timothy, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So how do, how do we do this? Let, let me quote Jesus Christ first. Remember Jesus teaching his disciples in Matthew 24, especially, about his second coming? Remember him describing all the things that will happen between his first and second coming? We call that period the last days. We are living in the last days. I haven't got time to go through some of those things, but let me just uh, note what I've got here. Christ gives his disciples real hope in the midst of this. He says these things have got to be, these things must happen before the end comes. There will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be plagues, there will be difficulties, there will be persecution, all those things which can be so discouraging. But this has got to happen, he said, and it will get to a stage where it seems hopeless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? It will look absolutely bleak. It will be completely dark. And then, light will come, and Jesus will return. When we've given up all hope. And what does he say? He says, he that endures to the end shall be saved he that endures to the end shall be saved my friends we're in the battle now it's not going to be easy it wasn't meant to be easy indeed it could be said we will have more problems if we are following harder after jesus christ that's what he's taught us but listen even in the heat of the battle, I can vouch to this from experience, and I know others can say this, even in the heat of battle, he can draw near, can't he? He can draw near. There's a saying that in the eye of the storm, it's calm. It's calm. And when things are at their bleakest, we should not lose hope even then. 
because Jesus Christ can intervene. And when they will be at their worst, immediately before his second coming, it will change. I know I've used this illustration many times, but it's worth repeating. In The Two Towers, the second uh, volume of The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, uh, the good guys are hemmed in in Helm's Deep. They are trapped there, and the enemy, the orcs and the goblins of Saruman, they are besieging Helm's Deep, and they've even managed to blow up uh, the culvert, and they are infiltrating the fortress, and it looks hopeless for Theoden and his men, the good guys. And they're not to lose hope, because at the dawn, at the dawn, they're to look for the white rider, Gandalf. And he comes. One person transforms the whole battle. And it's going to be like that. It can be like that, even in the midst of battle. I know of situations where we've had our backs against the wall and nowhere else left to turn but to God. And he's intervened. And it'll be like that when Jesus returns. The white rider himself coming. Oh, it's wonderful, my friends. Let, let me give you some other scriptures to help you put on this helmet. The Apostle Paul, in the reading we had in 2 Corinthians 4, wasn't it encouraging yesterday afternoon? If you haven't uh, seen uh, on YouTube the recording of the meeting yesterday afternoon about those aged ministers, they looked so frail sitting there at the front. They were so nervous. That's a good sign, isn't it? And yet they were just recounting of how God had been near to them, even in the midst of much opposition. And I was reminded of what Paul was writing about. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Isn't that a good word? I think in one translation it's nevertheless. We are hard-pressed on every side, nevertheless not crushed. We are perplexed, nevertheless not in despair. Persecuted, nevertheless not forsaken. Struck down, nevertheless not destroyed. My friend, what you're doing is... Saying, nevertheless, that's what it is to put the helmet on. You look at all these attacks, and it's not just ministers from a generation or so ago who can talk about what it is to be attacked. Those of us who are in the ministry now know what it is to be under attack. We know what it is to be in a place where we're in a satanic attack, and it just looks hopeless. But we can say, nevertheless, we are not destroyed. In the words of the folk song, we are still here. Amal heed. Ergwetha paupa popeth in spite of everything. We're still here. That's what Paul is saying. What's the answer, Paul? It can't be the circumstances. It can't be your personality. What's the answer? The answer is God. Isn't it? We do not lose hearts. We do not faint. Why? Because our sufficiency is of God. There's nothing better, Christian friend, than being in that place where you've got nowhere else to turn to but God. I can remember one of the men yesterday, he was telling us about difficulties and all he could do was go on his knees and cry to God and God delivered 
I can quote Peter as I'm coming to a conclusion. Do you know what Peter, Peter knew a thing or two, didn't he? About persecution. P, Paul was beheaded in the end. Peter, according to tradition, was crucified upside down. Upside down. And Peter said, after you have suffered a while, Jesus Christ will come and make you perfect. Uh, what did Paul say in the reading that we had? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then John, John lived to a ripe old age. He was in his 90s. Some of you are in your 90s. Well, John was in his 90s. And John said, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that this is the future hope, the uh, uh, future tense of salvation, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself. So what do you do? You put the helmet on. Don't just pray. Don't, don't just quote scripture. But think. Put the helmet on. Put the helmet on. Say to yourself, God has never promised an easy time. God has promised that he will deliver. Let me trust in him. Do what Newton did. Newton knew a thing or two about putting the helmet on. Uh, I think you can talk back to the devil. Don't get into a debate with him. He will beat you, but talk back to him. Be gone, unbelief. That's good, isn't it? My Savior is near. Not because I feel it, but because he's promised to be. And for my relief will surely appear. Yes, by prayer let me wrestle. And he will perform, he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I'll smile at the storm. And then you reason what Dale Ralph Davis calls faith full reasoning. You reason. You don't just pray. You reason. Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me. He told me. He's warned me. No less the heirs of salvation I know from his word through much tribulation must follow their Lord. And then the end is this. Since all that I meet will work for my good, the bitter is sweet. The medicine is food. Though painful at present, it will cease before long. And then, oh, how glorious, and even so more glorious, the conqueror's song. My dear friends, can you say, looking back, even at the last few years, it has been good that the Lord has allowed us to go through different difficulties because he is bringing us closer to himself. You know, we only had a panel yesterday, didn't we? And it was a good panel. But the writer to the Hebrews, and he was writing to people who were suffering persecution. We're not suffering persecution yet, are we? And he was uh, trying to encourage them. And he talked about a panel, not of four or five men. What did he talk about? A great cloud of witnesses. 
<laughs> if you wanted a panel uh, from the writer to the Hebrews, uh, the hall wouldn't be big enough. You'd have to have them in here. I don't think this building would be big enough. You'd have to have them in the Millennium Stadium. And think of all those that have gone ahead of us. Think of those that you have been privileged to know. Think of all that they went through. And yet now they are singing the Conqueror's song. And you know what? I'm coming to an end here. They're saying to us, keep at it. Keep, keep, keep at it. If you ever get to the vestry, make, make sure at some point you come to the vestry. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth visiting uh, just to see Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones there. Uh, there's a photo of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones there. And he's just looking at you. And do, do you know what he's saying? Every time I go up into the pulpit here, I have the elders encourage me. They say, every blessing. And Dr. Martin is looking at me. And he's just saying, go for it. Go for it, my boy. Go, go for it. My brothers, my sisters, go for it. We haven't got long in this world, have we? Let, let's not drag our feet. Let's not give up in our minds. But let us, I like the authorised version here, quit ourselves like men. Let us play the man. You women as well, play the man. Let us be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And remember to put on the helmets. That, that's what you need. The breastplate to protect your feelings. The helmets to protect your mind for his namesake. Uh, we're going to sing now, uh, I think, one of the best hymns on the spiritual battle. It's a Stuart Townend hymn. It's in our supplements. Oh, church arise and put your armor on. It's a wonderful hymn. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. So let's praise him by singing number 65 in the supplements.
He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We praise thee, Father, for Peter, Paul, John, and the Lord Jesus, and for those men we heard yesterday in the panel, uh, those aged warriors. And Lord, we, we have our scars here, every one of us. And Father, uh, we, we uh, just thank thee uh, that the battle is the Lord's. And we pray, O oh God, that we would just know what it is to wait upon thee, uh, to go not in our own strength, uh, but to go forward uh, looking unto Jesus, our Gandalf, our white rider. And Father in heaven, we long for thee to break through in the power of the Spirit. Lord, could it be soon uh, with all the things that have happened to thy people up and down our land? Lord, oh, please come, we pray. And even if not in the power of the Spirit, Maranatha, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly in thy person. And now may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit stay with us to the end of this day, throughout this week, and to all eternity. Amen.